Hello and welcome to Culture Illiterate, a podcast where four friends overthink comic book movies. I am Jake. I don't like when the volume is on an odd number. It feels like like odd numbers feel like half half numbers to me. Like like a twenty five is really just halfway between twenty four and twenty six. Um, so I'll tend to make people put it on, or at least when it's on my own TV, set it to an even number. With me are my friends. And fellow co-host. That was a long-winded fun fact. My name is Jason, and I have been Batman for Halloween not once, but twice. Once as a child and once as an adult. Cool. My name's Matt. Sometimes I get really close to the mic and talk very loudly so that I can fuck with Jake when he tries to edit the audio. Just so I can get him back for his main character scene. I am Sean. Uh, my fun fact is that I have... For the first time recently made mashed potatoes <laughs> by myself. I never wow, Sean did all the work. Wow. I, you won't care by Lucy? I don't don't drag my fiance like that. Uh, <laughs> I just never had any want to make it living alone. So it's the first time. And I feel ashamed. I love mashed potatoes. I do too. I'm Dan, also known as Dan Grambles on YouTube. I'm video essayist and movie producer, well, series producer at the minute. Um, and uh, fun fact, uh, piggybacking off the numbers thing, I have an even more precise thing with numbers in that I like even numbers except for the number six, which is evil, but the number seven is the replacement number for six that I do like. So I like even numbers and seven, eight odd numbers and six. That's interesting. I love the number three. I always lock my car three times when I exit it. So uh, I think that might be a mental illness thing, but we don't have to get into that. Thank you for being on. Um, I mean, before we even get any further, do you want to do you want to plug any of your work right away? Oh, I mean, yeah. If you're open to that, I certainly can. So uh, yeah, um, I guess sort of the two big projects, the one that's just finished and the one that's coming up would be my YouTube stuff, Wholesome Halloween. Uh, I've just wrapped on the third and final marathon, a video essay series where every single day for the whole month of October I'd upload a different video essay covering a topic of horror for that day. Uh, usually a film, not always. Sometimes it was a book, sometimes it was like something weird and different, like I did one on wrestling and horror and uh, I did one on horror wrestling, and uh, that just kind of came to its 100th episode and ended fully uh, with a big emotional sort of send-off for me. I'm very, very proud of it, and you should all definitely go check out that marathon. Uh, I put my heart and soul into it. It's hundreds of thousands of words long, over 15 hours of juicy, juicy content, as the internet likes to call it, uh, because that's what everything is these days. And uh, outside of that, my big thing at the minute is I'm working with Creator VC. They are the company that put out the mega documentary series In Search of Darkness. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a franchise of three films coming up, four films on 80s horror. And they are these five hour long massive mega documentaries that put together this whole curated museum experience of the entire decade of 80s horror and they along the route of exploring these films talk to the people who made them the makeup acted in them and just create this huge kind of cultural retrospective 
And uh, yeah, I work with those guys now, and I am actually development producer on their next uh, big project, which is a sort of spin-off of In Search of Darkness. That instead of looking at 80s horror, it's going to look at horror video games. It's called Terabytes, the evolution of horror gaming, and pre-sales go out next February. That's a lot of, uh, yeah, that's a lot of things coming out to look forward uh, yeah. in your world. I can say I'm mostly aware of you through Wholesome Halloween, and I can attest that that is, uh, the episodes I've seen are very, very entertaining. Uh, and I don't typically like long-form YouTube videos because I have a really short attention span, but I can attest to that being worth the watch. Yeah, I think the trick is to dress like a skeleton. Yeah. Maybe that is the attention more. Like you could talk about like accountants and nobody be interested. But if a man dresses a skeleton, just talking about accountancy, you're like, oh shit, that dude dresses a skeleton. I, I guess I better pay attention to him. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I've never thought of it quite that way, but I guess that's why you're in that business. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I guess we can all kind of jump into with like a uh, Jake and I, or Jake more or less got us into to watching. Your, your videos actually um as a it's been a couple of years since i started to, to, to get into your videos it was actually jake who uh if a little i guess more of a fun fact that uh will help give context jake and i have been friends since we were uh, five or so and i did not like him on the first day and ever <laughs> since then we've been friends forever uh, <laughs> but yes uh jake uh i can't remember when exactly it was like it had to have been like two where um, I think it was, what was it? I'm trying to, was it was it Wholesome Halloween that got me into, that you mentioned it, Jake? I can't remember. You had mentioned that you um, had been watching Dan's videos and you and you talked about it to me. And um, after that, I started well, watching a couple and I got more into. To cheat on a wreck, um, I don't know if this counts, but yeah, I would say definitely recommend uh, Dan's stuff. But my, to... Uh, at the risk of making it a little bit, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about praise. I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable. But I'm I, the first video of yours I ever saw was actually your fan four stick. Yeah, I wanted to mention that one too. Yeah, so that was like actually popular. <laughs> Jake showed me that video, and it made me laugh so hard when you were like talking about things that should have middles, and you were like Malcolm's fucking movies. It it was so good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, a rap. I mean that. that was like that was like uh, I, I think I did. World video that kind of like spiked up, and then Fantastic Four, uh, I think, made the front page of Reddit. And from that point, I just kind of went boom, and like very, very quickly, quickly accumulated a lot of subscribers and a lot of views. And then I maintained that for a while, and I realized it was really, really hard to keep up the cynical shtick when you're not actually cynical about what's going on. Like I'm actually very positive about this art form that I love to you, and uh, proceeded to make much, much, much more positive content, which the algorithm deemed a lot less friendly. But I'm a lot more satisfied with it. So yeah, you are you are old school. If you that was I, didn't, I wasn't even called Dan Drambles then. I was going by Geeky Glasses TV. Which I recall that. Your fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. I've been, I've been watching you since then. Um, Wholesome Halloween is. Um, I mean, I understand. I. I 
understand why why you're capping it at three, but uh, has has been wonderful. Uh, but yeah, just to bring it back to just definitely recommend Dan's videos because it's the only like film reviews and video essays that have made me shed tears. Um, ah, oh, the, the, the La the La Land review has been something I've brought back to on a bad day before. Um, and uh, what was I gonna say? I'm still friends with that girl. But, and then and then. I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, with that. Obviously, we're we're, we're part of part of ways she's moved back to America and stuff now. But uh, yeah, like we've both got new partners. I think she. Well, I mean, I say I think. I know she's married now. Um, but yeah, we're we're still on good terms. So it was good. It was a good nice. period of my life, and uh, the, and nice. I'm, I'm glad the La La Land review and the the sort of sentiment behind it has has kind of uh, hit where it's supposed to, I guess. Yeah, that, and then more more recently, having never watched a second of wrestling, the Bray, Bray Wyatt video tribute was uh, wonderful. Um, as was just the whole of Wholesome Halloween. So that I'll I'll stop fanboying. Yeah, listen, we're not gonna say anything nice about Dan. We're not saying anything nice about Dan for the rest of the podcast. Jake capped it there. Just talking, just talking shit. But um. I'm glad you get to be on an episode where we're covering a good movie in The Dark Knight, because um, we still have to set it, that's the topic for today, The Dark Knight, um, because, man, it's a lot more fun making these things when it's something we can speak positively about. Um, yeah, the, the bad ones really drag. Anything they want to add, now that I'm done, um, before I, we move into that topic? Well, I would like to wreck a band real quick that I saw recently. I went and saw a band called Touche More uh, for the first time in my life. I've loved that band since I was like 13 years old. I'm 21 now, so eight years later I finally got to see them, and it was just a very, very emotional experience for me. I, Their lead singer is, I think, one of the best lyricists of all time, so if you like like hardcore emo kind of music at all um they have some of the most emotional impact emotionally impactful music i've ever heard like some of their lyrics just give me chills every time i hear them and they gave me chills when i saw them live and they're a great live band so definitely if you're into that kind of scene check it out i have a record well i'm gonna make it short because jake took so long uh so i recommend Honor. Monarch is the show in the Monsterverse, which, you know, is better known for movies like Godzilla 2014 and Godzilla King of the Monsters. And it is one of those shows that surprisingly has a strong narrative. As someone who watches grown men in rubber suits fight each other, it is very strange when I see something of that media have very strong stories and very strong characters. And that's what Monarch is. It has very strong. It has a really strong premise. It has really strong characters. It has a really interesting ongoing history. I don't know if it has a payoff because the show is not over yet. But from what I've seen so far, it's pretty good. And if you don't trust me, which you shouldn't, you can trust Sean because Sean likes it as well. Yeah, that was going to be my wreck, but we can go with that too. Um, I was going to wreck another console <laughs> content if you have. To- are able to, I guess this is coming out way later, so it probably won't be available in theaters anymore, but Godzilla Minus One, fantastic movie, is actually surprisingly good. Um, I... 
I know. I. Oh, that's tragic. I it it like I, I don't know what it is with distribution when it comes to Toho or what their their I know with uh, in America anyways at the very least they have like their their international distribution uh, company that it goes through. But if if you have a way of seeing it, genuinely really good. Um, and uh, just like Matt said, it has a strong narrative hook on top of just also being a Godzilla movie. In the end, it feels like a good Godzilla movie, but it also just feels like a really good movie, too. Yeah, it is also good for the reasons I stated before, as in it has strong characters and a very strong narrative. It doesn't have the mystery element, but you can see Godzilla blow up shit, so. That's what you're here for, right? Exactly. Watching a radioactive dinosaur shoot giant lasers out. Right. You, you come for that. Everything else is an added bonus. Exactly. Also, watching giant... Uh, light, giant light giants by other monsters as well. It's Ultraman, by the way, for those who don't know. I didn't know, so, and I still don't know because I don't know who Ultraman is. <laughs> but Sorry to, I'm going to apologize to the guest because I'm going full, full geek mode right now. Full weed mode, by the way. Well, this, uh, this podcast is kind of full geek mode. Don't need to apologize for Godzilla fan, and I am literally looking at like imported Godzilla figurines <laughs> just off the side of the camera, and have Godzilla art that I've brought from Godzilla comic book artists. Like we, we're, we're on the same page, you know. I'm like very into that scene. Like I want to see Jet Jaguar get like a American sort of uh, interpretation in these weird like team-up Shaw-era style movies that seem to be doing now with, like, the new ones. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, don't apologize for liking Godzilla, he's fucking awesome, he's great. Sean, <laughs> he's one of us! Yeah, I was gonna say, you and Sean, y'all are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> I mean, you you guys might have missed it, because I was planning to make it a whole series, um, but I did one episode and was like, Oh, that was really hard, and <laughs> didn't do it ever again. But I did actually plan to do a, a series on Tokusatsu. There is a single episode on my channel uh, called Total Toku, and it uh, is, is on a film called Hentai Carmen, which is not as weird as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but it's very, very good. It's very fun. And uh, in that, I talked a lot about like the history of Tokusatsu and like how there's like, three arcs different branches of it and kind of talk about like special effects movies with Godzilla and then I sort of talk about Power Rangers angle and uh, yeah so I'm very very much a big weirdo for that stuff I, I love you already right. <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about cape shit which I'm a big weirdo for um, cut me off if I'm stopping anybody short of saying something they wanted to say as per usual no I'm, I'm no, I'll throw it I'll throw it the red. night Oh yeah, go for it. Uh, uh, Slay the Princess. It's a visual novel where you are awakened in the woods and a narrator tells you, hey, the princess in that cabin, you gotta kill her. If you don't kill her, the world's gonna end. And you're like, well that doesn't seem fair. Like, I don't wanna kill the princess. And he's like, no, you got to. You've got to kill this princess. And if you don't kill her, then everything will cease to exist. And do not trust her. Do not believe a word she says. She is, she is going to manipulate you. She is going to be evil. Do not fall for her tricks. And then it's just up to you to make choices from from that basic setup. 
and it does some very weird, very interesting things with this very basic premise that you are just a dude in the woods by a cabin who has to kill a princess, and you're not sure if you want to. But yeah, it's well worth exploring. I won't say any more than that because it's one of these things where it's like the more you talk about it, the more you spoil it, but it's got a very good art style. Um, I actually spoke to the developers the other day. Um, but yeah, uh, and, they're, and they're cool people. They're cool people and they're, they're, they made a really great game and uh, everybody should check it out. Yeah, that definitely sounded interesting. On note, um, yeah, Dark Knight from 2008. Uh, real quick, stars Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, Gary Oldman, all coming back from their same roles with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal taking over as Rachel Thals. And Aaron Eckhart and, Heath, and the late Heath Ledger, of course, being the two like notable additions to the cast as Two-Face and Joker. Written by Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan, and David S. Boyer. Directed by Christopher Nolan and shot by Wally Pfister. So, I don't... The movie opens, of course, famously with the gang criminals in cloud masks robbing a mafia rank and killing each other off each step of the way until you see the Joker, the last one standing, and him escaping with the money. I want to pause right away to talk. I don't really know if there's anything that I can say about that opening of this movie that hasn't already been said. But I feel like it requires its own acknowledgement because it's such a like out of the gate a villain. I don't know if reveals not the right word since it's not like it was a surprise that it's Joker. But your first like in the movie look at what has gone down is one of the most like beloved portrayals of the of the villain um, beyond just comic book movies, but in general as well as, like, the state of... It being the sequel, the state of Gotham that that's left off in from the end of Batman Begins, I think is immediately... You kind of have a sense of what you're in for, even if you don't know what's coming, because the movie gets kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I, I will say, like... Because I was really young when this movie came out. I was, like, six. So when I saw it, it wasn't... I, I think it may have been a bit uh pointy headed for my young brain at the time i just i didn't quite uh grab onto it as much as i did other uh batman films despite loving batman i even have a batman water bottle sitting on my uh, desk right now with me uh but going so going back to it like i haven't seen this movie in a long time because i didn't rewatch it many times but i kind of like didn't i knew how it started but i didn't fully remember the sequence and it was like despite knowing how it goes it was very very uh immediately uh captivating and entertaining yeah i'll get behind that i feel like the introduction serves as a great way to introduce your villain not just seeing what he looks like but also his nature because the whole introduction is just controlled chaos as in, it's, it seems like a totally crazy plan, but then all of a sudden it's working out. Like, what heist works where every single robber is backstopping each other, or in this instance, shooting each other in the back, and yet it all works out. It serves as a great introduction as to what this Joker is about, which is chaos, but it works. And so, it's great. I love it. And that's all I'm going to say. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's genuinely one of the strongest movie openings of all time, definitely within the, the superhero genre. Um, I think that you see a lot of um, really established sort of Nolan techniques um, kind of come to the forefront that really adds to the tension of it. The soundtrack, if I remember correctly, has like the the ticking to it. it makes it makes it feel like a, a, a countdown clock timing down. I re reused that kind of like um, musical style and within uh, Dunkirk very famously. Dunkirk always feels like a ticking clock, so it always feels like you're racing against time. And then in terms of like character moments, there's so many um, small but intricate details to the character of the Joker that's explained through this entertaining uh, bank robbery without actually, you know, giving him much in the way of, like, exposition to explain his motivations or his actions, you get a sense of how, despite all of the chaos of the scenario, how in control he is, through these really meticulous manipulations like it's one thing where you know he just tells somebody to shoot the guy who breaks into the safe like after he's broken the safe like it's one thing to say like oh once that guy does the alarms kill him and you know you're seeing that the the numbers of the bank robbers thin down and down and down but the there's like other elements um within that scene so there's the moment where the Joker and another bank robber are being shot at and the other bank robber is like, he's out, right? And the Joker, and it's important that it is the Joker that says this, but he doesn't even say it, he nods. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's totally out. You should you should go and um, walk over to that man with the shotgun. And obviously the dude is not out and you get that whole fun line of like, when did you learn to count? And it it's interesting because it's a small little exchange. It's both funny, it's entertaining, but it's also an insight into like how manipulative the Joker can be because you can tell from by the end of the plan how meticulously it was laid out in terms of what the Joker was doing that like there is no way that character genuinely believed that gun to be out of ammo. Like he just saw an opportunity to get that dude killed by the other dude was like yeah and i'll lose and that dude will fire his gun and, and he's not he's got one less bolt to fire at me and then there's like the bit where he says you know you were supposed to kill me at the end right and he's like no 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 i killed the bus driver now that scene could play out as exactly as it does without movement and it would still work but what's important is you can kind of see again like the joke of manipulations coming into play he traces around him. It's, it's like a very subtle movement. He, he goes, no, 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 I killed a bus driver and he checks his watch. And the dude's got a gun and he's like, bus driver? What bus driver? And if they were just still and then the bus driver burst through the wall and killed that guy, like that would be one thing. But the Joker like organizes the scene by sort of like sidestepping knowing that that guy's going to keep an eye on him. And he basically places him through, you know, movement and this kind of psychological trick of like I know you're keeping an eye on me so I need you to turn your back to this uh, wall where this bus is going to plow through and he like crafts this situation in a really like naturalistic way um, and also just as a fun little nod um, the mask that the Joker is wearing uh, harkens back 
to a classic Batman TV series episode. And I was the first person to post about that on Reddit, just taking credit for that. Because I noticed it after watching that Batman episode on an episode of ITV. I was the first person I know of to post it on Reddit anyway, because when I searched it wasn't on there already. Uh, but yeah, um, there's lots and lots of meticulous details within it. Uh, the plan is really interesting to see unfold, especially in the way that it's, 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 it's such an interesting subversion of the plan going to shit um, sort of trope of like Van Kuyce movies. Uh, there's this thing, it's like a known thing within screenwriting, that if you ever see characters, and you'll, once you know this is a thing in movies, you'll, you'll never not notice it now. If you ever see a scene where characters go, okay, this is the plan, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and he's going to go in there, and she's going to be on the roof, and that those things will go wrong. It's basic screenwriting, it's, it's, it's you know, you have to have to set it off. If they have the plan and the sequence, and the plan just goes to sequence, then there was no point in the explanation thing. And if they don't explain it, then they can just do the plan to sequence because they can't have the plan go wrong because you don't know it's going wrong because you don't have the context for what the plan should be. Um, so it's just basic setup and chaos. But what you see with Nolan's opening uh, in The Dark Knight is you see a bank robbery that in many ways on paper would be the kind of Reservoir Dogs box job where everybody's killing each other and nobody trusts each other that other films would have as the payoff to everything going wrong but because of the joke as a character being so inverse with like normal expectations like for him that is a world in which reality is correct that is a world in which like everything is going to plan um, and it's it's such a great sequence, and there's no sign of Batman, and immediately you just get this great, what is almost a short film in of itself. Uh, you know, you can take that scene out of context, stripped from the context of the rest of the movie, and it's just a great little heist film um, about just an evil man who manipulates the, the manipulates things, and you get so much from that character. And then it also happens to unfold into this larger Batman picture where you've been introduced to this character and you have such a sense of identity and concept of him that he becomes this big sort of kind of terrifying, kind of unpredictable threat before he's even had an interaction with the main hero. Yeah, and I think it's also like, it's such a good way to immediately show the well, something that's, like, so in integral to the Joker in general, but also in this movie specifically, that he just, like, truly does not care about many things. He doesn't have, like you said, like, his plan is for everything to be going to shit. So, like, it's his, his desire is for chaos, and we get that immediately right out of the gate in in such a well-displayed manner. Yeah, and he only ever panics once in the movie. And it's when the chaos that he planned for didn't doesn't happen. The only time he ever panics in the entire movie is right... I'm jumping ahead, but it's right at the end when the two boards don't work. Yeah. Well, continuing on with Joker characterization, like, one of the things that's aged well for me in this movie, and I'm, I'm in a similar boat as Jason, um, where, like, I was 10 when this came out, so a lot of it was, like, you know, all, all, all the post-9-11 America stuff was not something that was really registering. Um, and I was just like, why is Batman not fighting people? This is dull. 
Uh, obviously, songs that has changed as I watched it as a not child. But Joker and Batman are two, like, in my opinion, the most like pliable characters in fiction. In that you can have things like already talked about, like the '60s show that works totally well, and then something like The Dark Knight. And with Joker specifically, that's a character that has been seen as you know, like a goofy prankster in the '60s, the Jack Nicholson version, who's who's a gangster. You have, you know, an anarchist Joker, a politically motivated Joker, and then you have Jokers that just, like, which is my favorite, that's just kind of full of shit. One of the things that, as, as I, like, got older and watched the movie more hit for me is that I do think that applies to Ledger's Joker in the extent of he, one of, like, the lines that I feel like I hear quoted all the time from, like, way later in the movie when he's with Dent, it's just, do I really look like the guy with the plan? when he has probably the most plan out of anybody in this movie. Everything is so meticulously crafted to, like, the buses pulling out at the end of the opening to such a degree that, and obviously it's not that there's no improv involved, but if his whole thing is chaos, but he also says he's sending a message. And I think those two things are somewhat conflicting. And I, I appreciate the way in which the movie kind of, again, with this opening, tells you that from the jump. Because you don't know, you don't necessarily sit down if this is your first time watching this movie and expect them to kill each other off one by one, and then to end with the realization that Joker was kind of in the crosshairs of this whole situation, whereas I think in past, you know, your traditional superhero movie, your, your main villain's not going to be like, in your face right away. They're not going to be in the opening scene. They're not going to put themselves in harm's way. Well, so yeah, it immediately that... tells you anything could happen. We don't know what this guy's going to do. Yeah, that that in itself is its own subversion because, you know, if this was a Lex Luthor type of character, this would be a bunch of his goons going into a plan where he knows they're all going to die and the evil thing that would be shown to be, you know, his the, the, the thing that would make him evil is he'd be sitting in his ivory tower on a walkie-talkie, pressing buttons and just making sure everybody gets killed. The Joker, they allude to the idea that he isn't there. All of the masked goons are sort of talking like, yo, what do you heard about this Joker character? The, the boss who sort of designed all this. And you get the impression um, that the Joker isn't present. Which makes it even more chaotic that like he could be that guy, and that could have happened if, you know, his plan could have played out the same way with him not being there. But he just kind of wanted to be there for the crap. He just thought, yeah, it's good fun, huh? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot the guy in the bus. Like, I'll, I'll get shot at. And, it's, it's, and it, it, it creates a kind of juxtaposition between him and, you know, if we go back to Batman Begins, Rachel Ghoul, uh, who was very, you know, eh, I guess in many ways, like, obviously there was, like, confrontation between Ra's al Ghul and uh, Batman in that movie, but there was always, like, a degree of separation um, between, you know, him and the, I guess, these, like, little ninja gangs and stuff. Um, there's, there's like, a, a sense of decorum and, and uh, pride to him, and, you know, it's like, whereas, like, the Joker is, like, a little dog that, you know, in his own words, he's, like, chasing trucks and he wouldn't know what to do with caught one. I mean, and from, from there the movie kind of introduces you to a new status quo in Gotham, introducing you to the new district attorney, Harvey Dent, 
and uh, that him, Batman, and Jim Gordon have kind of allied themselves in a hope to eliminate Gotham's organized crime, but Joker is this character that is almost the antithesis of organized crime for all of his plotting. Uh, Batman is also, as Bruce Wayne, supporting Dent and kind of hoping that Dent, as a legitimate protector, will allow him to then pursue his childhood uh, love, Rachel Dawes, despite her being ironically in a relationship with said Harvey Dent. Um, how do you guys feel about the status quo that's shown like, in the state of Gotham? I personally like enjoy one of my favorite elements is, and it's only really in the beginning, is the imposter Batman, because I think if you're going for the realism tone that Nolan goes for in this trilogy, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of idiots that put on hockey pads and carry guns and try to be Batman and don't understand the difference. But I definitely feel like it, it does a good job with what some franchises don't do or some ongoing film series don't do. Um, we're going to set something up at the end of a movie like Batman Begins with this concept of escalation and what is going to happen now that there is this mass vigilante that's like kind of an open secret that the cops are letting it happen. What does that actually look like in the next movie? Um, just on the subject of the the Batman as like the the ones who are like inspired by him, um, I actually think that was one of the most interesting elements of the film, and I wish they'd done more with it. Um, I mean, the only really time you see the sort of Batman cosplayers is in that scene. Where he's like, what's the difference between you and me? And he's like, I'm not wearing hockey pads. And then you've also got, um, I believe, uh, the Joker when he's got a dude tied up as Batman. It's it's like another cosplayer. Um, I'm using cosplayer because I, I, I would call them vigilantes, but he's a vigilante, so it's kind of it's a hard separation. Which in itself is quite interesting. It's like, how do you differentiate between the two? Because ultimately, there kind of is no difference except one of them's got money and doesn't use a gun. Um, but yeah, um, I love that concept because it's one that engages wholly with the politics of Batman. Um, and I think when you're asking questions about the status quo of Gotham within this film, it, 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 it's it's difficult to engage with Batman in isolation within the context of this film um, because it's it's a film that is in conversation with the difficult ramifications of what Batman is um, throughout its runtime. Um, and sometimes the answers that it comes to aren't always uh, really well explored um, or satisfying. And sometimes there's some stuff like really interestingly. Uh, but the yeah, like I think for, like it's the fact that, you know, Batman is this kind of, like, superhero. It's always, like, a funny one when you call him a superhero, because especially in grounded movies like these, is he is he a superhero? Is he a hero? Um, but, like, Batman exists ideologically within his worldview to rid Gotham of crime, clean up the streets and all that. And you just never see any sign of that being the result of Batman's presence. Like, especially in Nolan's world, like, there is no point where they go, oh, but crime's down. Like, 
it's doing well. Like we got we got rid of all that crime. Um, yeah, this Jota guy's here, but before that Jota guy was here, all of the mobsters they're just they're just at home, you know, eating soup. Like they're just not bothering. Like you never get anything like that. And so it's interesting that it has that discussion with these points. You know, Harvey Dent kind of has the argument with like Batman being bad for the world. Oh no, it's Harvey Dent the one to think. Yeah. Harvey Dent's, like, positive about the world of Batman, and it's actually um, Bruce Wayne who's, like, oh, he's a vigilante, and because of that kind of, you know, he can't, can't be the guy who's, like, praising him when it's, it is him. Um, so the, these conversations exist, and you sort of see, like, the ramifications of, like, what Batman would imply in a world uh, with the imposter Batman, something that was I thought was explored a lot better in um, Robert Pattinson's Batman movie with, like, the Riddler essentially being, like, a radicalized 4 channel who just sort of idolized him. Um, and, yeah, uh, so I have gone on such a massive tangent here, I'm not even sure what the original question was, but I just really like the Batman imposters. I completely agree that I think, that, like you said, I think they should have been explored a lot more, because, uh, you know, the two main points where they're used in that, first scene and then when joker kidnaps one it's it's very uh to me compelling because it's a very very real thing all the time you hear about you know copycat crimes in the news i mean at least i have heard many stories of that so it's like it's not in any way far-fetched it's very real to imagine that that is something that could happen uh so it it just makes for such a compelling story that i wish they had dived into, dove into. Take out the Hong Kong stuff. Put in more exploration of the, the copycats. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's fair, because I, I, one, I think, would add a lot more depth to the uh, story versus not much. I don't think the, the Hong Kong stuff added much in my opinion. It was fine. Like, it didn't take away from the film, but it just didn't add much either, I feel. Drags, for sure. One of the things I, I do, like, talking specifically about, like, the status quo of Gotham, I, I think one of the things that it really does for me, and, and this is kind of comparing it more to, like, the Burton films, in, in a way, uh, like, with the Burton films, you feel Gotham itself is, like, a character, or it's, it's a part of, like, this mythos uh, that we have, and, of course, Gotham is, when, when you really dive into it. But, like, uh, with uh, the one thing that I didn't like about Batman Begins is that we really don't get an idea of, like, what Gotham is like. Um, and this kind of delves a lot more into the politics of Gotham and getting to see a lot more of, like, the the ramifications of everything that happened in the first one. So I really think that I, I, I like that it builds upon it and I like that it kind of gives Gotham a character that isn't just, like, obviously looking at the architecture and everything, it isn't like I'm watching Burton's films, but uh, I am just looking at, really, Chicago in the end. But, um... Uh, it's it's a interesting it's interesting to see the inner workings of Gotham this time around and to really get a deep dive into it and like not only do we get just uh, Gotham as a city but we also get to see the civilians in it especially when we get to the boat scene later on um, but I, I like that we kind of get a lot more of Gotham in this and to see like what what is Gotham really like as a whole. I think yeah. the point Sean's trying to make is that if you want to get like a shot of a downtrodden city without any special effects, just go to Chicago. <laughs> Damn. Damn. I agree with all of you. Because the thing about Batman, 
is that Gotham is always a character in all of the Batman and shows included. But whenever we get to see like the people itself, they more they're more of like a characterization of the city itself, and they're more like seen as like a cohesive whole rather than individuals. This is like the first time we've actually seen individuals in Gotham make actions for themselves, and it makes you know well yeah. Christopher Nolan movie be more realistic. Wow, what a great statement I made there. But <laughs> it's it's just a lot of untouched potential that we don't really get to see explored. A show would be great, but knowing WB, they'll probably ruin it. <laughs> so you know what? I would rather just have it as is. And we get to fuck my, my, what? Fuck David Zaslav. Yes. Fuck. Fuck every time I hear his name, I just think of. I just have to say that every time we. I'm sorry. Every single time I hear David, what's his last name? Zaslav. Every time I hear his last name or hear his name, I think of a uh, Victor Zaz, and I just that's all I can think of. And I'm just that. I'm sorry, but that's just the mental image I have when people talk about him. That I have a mental image of Victor Zaz uh, being a head of WB. Or whatever it is that David Zaslav is. That's all, though. Realization of Gotham is one of my like two kind of beeps with this movie, in that I don't yeah. I don't love the Chicago yeah. look, as someone mentioned. It even it, and it looks like a quote unquote like real city and begins too, but at least had that like rail system in it that made it feel like it just slightly elevated like out of, into like the idea of that. That's something that's a robust rail system is something that just doesn't exist in the United States. So that's true. Made it feel like it was not quite reality, whereas yeah. this as a city, and it goes beyond just the city itself. There's no bat cave. They just have that like cold white light, like flat area that we yeah. out yeah. and I'm not a fan of that either. I totally agree. This is worse. You can't even like see the logo on it. Um, I'm all for the realism and the like unique style that Nolan brought from himself onto this because more of these. One of the reasons I love comic books is because they're such a collaborative medium, and so many different people with so many different voices um, have worked on the same characters. So I wish the movies did that more instead of being so mass-produced, which is why the Dark Knight trilogy stands out so much. But in this one instance, it's a little bit too too much of one thing for me. Yeah, um, I understand the push for realism, but for me, um, I really wish, especially with Batman that within superhero movies we could I know it's a common complaint like and it's it's that weird one because the you know it's people are like oh make it more superhero y and then they get that and they're like no not like that and people are making it less superhero y no not like that and it's 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 such a like so many people have so many opinions on this stuff because there's so much of a love for the source material and even the source material that everybody is pulling from to make their opinions on these movies is different source material, you know, what one one person's childhood Batman comics are completely different than the next person's childhood Batman comics. But I do think we have lost something within superhero movies and it's very obvious in Batman because this was also a problem in the Batman as well. Um, the issue I have with uh, Gotham in this is that like you say, like Gotham should be its own character. And the best portrayals um, in visual format, in moving visual format for me, with Gotham is the Tim Burton stuff because it has 
Well, Tim Burton is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a student of expressionist cinema, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu, that kind of thing. So you get these really angular buildings, like stylized, uh, uh, you know, sort of curvature that doesn't make sense, architecture, architecture that doesn't really have a basis in the real world. And, like, nobody went into Batman 1989 or Batman Returns and was like, oh, that movie was really great, but when the doors and windows and all the buildings we had, and that really took me out of it. Like, nobody cares about that stuff. It's cool, and it's interesting, and it's visually compelling. And then you've got, um, on a completely different style, but still feeling very much like Gotham, Batman the Animated Series goes for a whole Art Deco vibe. And both of those things bring so much to the character of Gotham, but also tell us a lot about that world. It's not just a visual style. Tim Burton's world feels old and intimidating, and the buildings are tall and loom over you, and everything feels sharp and jagged and, like, dangerous. And then the Batman the Animated Series world, with all of its Art Deco flair, it creates this kind of almost Gatsby-esque... Um, divide between like the poor of the city so you get all these you know there's lots of shots of like robbers in flat caps in back alleys with guns and it's just it's just a back alley and then there'll be all these diner there'll be all these like dinners for Wayne's going to and there's these gorgeous golden trims on the doors and stuff and it, and it, and it creates that 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 political that sort of class divide that should really be an element of Batman and Gotham that is explored a lot more than it is, and it does all this without doing anything other than providing art. Like, you know, the Gotham of um, the Burton films and the Gotham of the animated series, it's all just artistic choices, like visual set design and the way things are drawn, and yet we get so much about why that world and all of its strangeness would create something like Batman. And then you look at the Gotham of the, the you know, most of the Batman stuff, and it's like, oh, that's just a city. Like, it might be a pretty grungy city, it might be a pretty rough city, but it's just a city. It's like, it's straight up just a city. Um, and like, although I understand the push for realism and, and Nolan's um, film, Nolan's trilogy definitely, like, skews towards realism and kind of grounds everything. It does sort of rob the the world of some of its sense of... In a way, it, it robs it of some of its sense of reality, because, like, I look at the Gotham of the Dark Knight, and I'm like, would this Gotham have superpowers? Would this world have a character like Scarecrow and the Joker and Batman and I always kind of think probably not. I know that more grounded takes on the character and that's how they kind of like amend, that's how they kind of like bridge the gap between those two contradicting things. But it is it is odd to sort of think of like, you know release Chicago just having a super villain, like the Joker <laughs> going around in clown makeup and robbing banks, but like that character totally fits in in the expressionist cinema of Burton's works. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned the the animated series as well because I was gonna bring that up because to me that's a big part of my reference point to Gotham City and Batman in general because I grew up watching that a lot and loving it. Uh, still love it to this day, of course, because it's brilliant. And to me, it's like that's such a quintessential Gotham. Like it's such a character. It is so like beautifully drawn and and like every single part of it from you know the alleys to the skyscrapers just looks like it should be gotham and it it's it's just right to me and it, that's all i that's the only way i know how to explain it but it's like it, it really gives credence i feel to the expression of pictures a picture's worth a thousand words because it's like every time i watch that show it's like there's so many little uh shots that i'm like i can just imagine describing that in all of its depth and detail and 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 so forth i feel like that's why the first movie has a better art style than this one as much as i like the dark knight better than uh the dark knight begins batman begins like what did i say it correctly batman begins <laughs> oh shit not dark knight begins <laughs> that out. uh wait batman begins when did we uh, ever censor Oh, yeah, that's true! Ha-ha! Anyway, um... Uh, <laughs> we've been doing this for a year. That's why I feel like... I don't listen to the podcast. This is why I feel like, uh... The Batman Begins has over the Dark Knight. Is that... The brownest, like, tinge... That it emits from that movie... It just makes it super... I don't know, like... What's the, the correct term for this? Like, musty? Is, is that a correct term? That's I was going to say this is a colder color palette. Yeah, it's a very it's colder. It's a very, very blue. While the Batman, Batman Begins is very brown. But it makes it feel unsafe, right? It makes it feel dirty. Yeah, and... it becomes a surrealist town because it's a town exactly. trapped, in, trapped in sunset. Exactly. It makes it make it much more Exactly. The first movie, it, it felt like a downtrodden city that would basically breed villains like Scarecrow, right? And then that would eventually make someone like the Batman, someone who really like, needs to stand up to all these injustices that is going on in the city. Because the city, it just reflects, it just, it's like the current reflection of like what's going on. It's downtrodden, it's dirty, it's unsafe, right? And so it would make sense for, uh, for a superhero, or quote-unquote superhero, uh, for like someone like Batman to show up. And basically attempt to clean the city, and then that's kind of lost in translation with the sequel, with the Dark Knight, and it's because it's not as Dan said, it it doesn't seem like that dangerous. It just seems like a city, right? And I think the oh sorry, I lost it. Just go. <laughs> All right, for for Dan. Dan, the one who's new to us, I, I have a horrible habit of cutting Matt off when I think he's done, and then Matt immediately losing his train of thought. I think I uh, I, I gotta buy Matt dinner sometimes just for that. Um, but I was just gonna say, I think the best, the best, uh, on a more positive note, example of kind of showing the balance between, um, oh man, now I'm losing my own train of thought, but of the realism versus, like, the, the two different kinds of Gotham is actually, for me, in Bale's performance. I think 
of the three, for what I recall, this is probably my favorite performance he puts out of the of the trilogy because I I actually do feel there like the it's almost like he's so cartoonishly playable a billionaire. The couple of times you get to see him, like when he strolls in with the ballerina and you know, oh, you know, Batman, what a loon. I that feels a little bit more played up in a way that is kind of a caricature of what you, like, think of a billionaire. Um, and, like, eat the rich and all that, don't get me wrong, but, like, I don't... But it's still, it's not exactly like they're trying to portray him in a way where there's... He's wildly unappealing, I would say. Like, there's not even a little bit of humanization, whereas even something like with, like, Blackberry that came out this year and Glenn Howerton, who is like an absolute shitbag in that movie with the character he plays as this like rich guy, but there's still like little elements where you kind of like see him as a person versus like the Bruce Wayne persona is just, just rich. Yeah, he's just, just a bit of a prick. So, I, I think that's the only time you have something that feels feels that way, and that is is a highlight for me. Um, I can't remember, some, somebody said something earlier that made me think of that, and then I lost half of my point along the way. I mean, uh, uh, just to add on to your point, I do think it's interesting that um, I feel like character-wise, the idea that Bruce Wayne becomes a literal caricature in this entry, um, like to the point that it's like an exaggerated parody of what a rich billionaire playboy would be like. You know, there's even the bit where, you know, he saves that uh, dude who's going to out him with his car and he's in a brutal crash and Jim Gordon's like, oh, you did a heroic thing there. And he's like, I was just trying to speed past the stoplight. And it, it's like, he, he, he puts on such a persona of billionaire playboy that he loses um, any semblance of a real personality. Which would be a criticism, but I think it's interesting with a character like Batman because the whole thing with Batman constantly <laughs> battling this dual identity in which one is he more. You know, there's lots of speeches from the comics where he's like, Bruce Wayne died in that alley. Like, it, that, that, that person's gone. Um, you know, Batman is, is who I am. There's a very famous panel of uh, Wonder Woman using the Lasso of Truth, and she's like, holds this thing, and she's like, I'm Diana. And Superman's like, I'm Clark Kent. Batman's like, I'm Batman, because that's who he is. That's, he's not Bruce Wayne, he's Batman. And so I think this idea of, like, giving Bruce Wayne the personality in this one where he is literally without personality, but then giving Batman lots of character development and lots of them, like, engaging thoughts and ideology and lines, and, uh, I, I think it speaks more to the psychology of that character. And just to go back to the color palettes for one bit, while I do agree with Matt that the color palette for uh, this one is a lot duller, what I do like about it positive on it uh, for a bit is, and this is this is a, a hot take I'm dropping here, um, if you look at the colour palettes of 1, 2, and 3 of this trilogy, the entire colour palette, I'm not saying it was intentional, but this is absolutely how I'm reading it, is one dark night. Batman begins, starts with, you know, his parents get killed, from that point onwards we go into the dark night all sunset colours. It's all moody street lamps at the end of the day just as everybody's going down to bed. And then we get to the second film and it's cold and it's dark and it's just 
clinically cold in a way that the pitch black of night is. And then we get to the third film, and by the end of it, we rise into sun. And the, the third film is literally called The Dark Knight Rises, which can be, in this sort of reading of it, a double entendre, because it's the dark night of Batman Rises, but also the dark night, the physical dark night, has risen, it has lifted, and Bruce Wayne can be in this sunny little restaurant at the end of it. And I like Yeah, I've never thought about that, but that does make a lot of sense looking back on it. So when you get to The Dark Knight Rises as well, which is a film that I don't enjoy there, but it is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it still has things. Um, the, when you get to The Dark Knight Rises as well, it, it's still a cold color palette, but it's brighter, and then by the end of the film, it's warmer. It's, it's brighter and warmer than The Dark Knight, even though it's chooses a very sort of neutral colour palette rather than like the more stylized bronzy musk of the, the first film. I can say a lot about Dark Knight Rises. I don't like the film, but I can say a lot about it. See, I do like that film. No, 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 I don't like it either. Our anger combined really? might explode the entire film. Well, and then you would have Jake and I on the other end of the spectrum who like that movie. I am... Matt and I in general find ourselves on different... I am... I have staked my claim on this podcast before as the world's foremost Joel Schumacher Batman defender, first of all. Absolutely. This is why this is why I knew I liked Dan. I knew I liked him. So the Dark Knight Rises defender, and then probably my most disagreed with opinion is I am an amazing Spider-Man 2 defender. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> he is getting points left and right. I love that movie. I do. Like, don't get it wrong, it's not my favorite superhero movie by any means, but I went there. When I first saw that, I really, really enjoyed it. Came out, thought, okay, yeah, this, this, you know, they've done a good and people will be happy with this. I was baffled by the response to it. Like, people hated that movie and I just did not get it. Yeah. Um, like, people complained about the tonal whiplash, uh, of the, like, final oh, act, I love. and I'm like, I love how sudden the tonal whiplash is, because, like, that, to me, is, is fucking Spider-Man, that is, you know, his day is trying to get photos and not flunk science class, and then, you know, the next thing he knows, he's holding a dead relative yeah. in his arms, because somebody's, you know, the Green Goblin's fucking murder, he's at for some shit. Like, it, it, it's, it's, yes. Spider-Man is the life of Tonal Whiplashes. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, 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 I, I really like Mid Spider-Man too. I, 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 there's nothing else I can add to that. Um, I see <laughs> complaints that people say, I see complaints that people, that people put out, um, and I get where they're coming from on some of them. Some of them, I think, are just not valid at all. Uh, I don't know, I just, I like it. I didn't, I did not get the backlash at all. Um, I have a friend, actually, who was, doesn't do YouTube anymore, um, but like Liberty, I like see him like every day. Uh, he had a YouTube channel called uh, Film Rant, and he very briefly did a um, series where he called uh, called like Film Defender, where he take like a film that was like critically reviled and talk about why it was actually good. And uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two was one of the the films he covered, and he's like, "This, this one's great. I don't know why." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, it is. You're not wrong. Uh, I like it." I like it, and I know that sort of, to some people will relinquish my serious film industry person and writer and filmmaker, a critic analysis card, but I don't care, it's good. If you like it, it's good. Yeah. Yeah.
I mean, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, personally. Exactly. Like, you know, but, um, sort of, not to, if anyone has more to say, don't let me, don't let me stop you, but I don't know how much longer we got Dan for, given that you were in a much later time than us. Yeah, one of us been nice to me right now. Yeah, um, but I, before we end anything, before we wrap up, I think we've barely talked to we all about sense, as well as about, like, the general idea of this movie, um, being kind of, like, touching on, and I don't know how you can relate to this, how things are in, like, the UK and the impact there, but the movie feels kind of distinctly American, strangely, for, um, because the way it talks about I think security, the, with the Patriot Act post post 9/11 and a lot of the security theater you'll see at airports um, that a lot of studies have shown doesn't really do anything, and in the way that the the politics of Gotham take away from insist certain things are being done to keep the people of Gotham safe, kind of returning back to what Dan said way earlier about like, but there's no real evidence of something like Batman actually doing that, and I'm not, I'm not one who, I, I don't really like the, in my opinion, lazy take of, like, oh, if Batman wanted to play crime, he would give to social causes, um, just because, like, man, that's, that's not the point, but, um... Yeah, it's, okay. it's I, like, I, that I, is true in reality, like, if that, if this was yeah. a real person, but this is fiction, and that is not interesting to engage with, yeah. psychologically tortured weirdo, is a far more interesting narrative concept than the generous billionaire. But yes, absolutely, yeah, you'll get to social causes, but this is a story. Right, and that's... Watching a movie about, about uh, you know, Bruce Wayne figuring out his expenses and what he's going to divert where and, and, you know, give to who to support what, that's not something that anyone wants to watch. And also, that's not Batman, that's... that's if you, Fair enough. It's worth, in the comics, it is very, very, very well established that Bruce Wayne does, in fact, give a large portion to social causes, but, like, affordable housing doesn't necessarily fix, like, beer gas. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, is those aren't mutually exclusive things, and one of them is a good story to tell, so let's focus on the one that's a good story. One of the things I wanted to to get at though is is Harvey Dent because that is that is one of the things that loses me a little bit in the movie as well. I think Aaron Eckert is like fantastic in the role. I think all the performances across the board are very good. There's not a weak one in the bunch for me. But I kind of wish I I do feel that the character becomes a little redundant as this like the face of the. These movies are really about like the symbol of Batman and then Dent as the symbol of like the Gotham's White Knight. And I think it becomes a little redundant when they introduce Rachel Dawes, who was an original character to these movies, because she's already fighting the good fight in the light of day. And I think the movie makes the mistake of kind of... I I, I don't... I go back and put... Are you guys familiar with... I'll explain it anyway in case anyone listening isn't, but the term fridging? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well... Oh, yeah, yeah. My my understanding of it, at least, was that I, I heard it, I believe it was coined by Gail Simone, the legendary comic book writer, from a, there is a Green Lantern comic book where Green Lantern's girlfriend is chopped up and put in a refrigerator, and they spend yeah. approximately, if they could spend negative time on how it impacted the woman, they would. Um, and that is unfortunately a trend across a lot of media, including comic books, of 
killing or severely harming a woman for male pain. Um, and I, I do think this movie does at least spend time with Rachel on her what she is going through before she dies. Um, when the Joker kills her, Two Face turns into Two Face. But I also feel like it does become introducing debt in one movie and then kind of speeding through it um, is. It, it makes some of the dead Two-Face stuff feel a little bit undercooked for me, and it also makes me feel like, well, what about, like, him as this face of, like, fighting fighting through within the system, which is, like, I don't want to get into it <laughs> for hours talking about whether or not that's effective, but as that face when Rachel already exists in the movie just to kill her off and then have Dent be, though, we have to hide what Dent really did. Like, why couldn't we prop Rachel up? Why, why did you have to... And I don't mean this in, like, oh, it's a plot hole way, because I think that's dumb, but I just think thematically you kind of shoot a really strong character. So I, I, I don't agree with the... I, I agree with you on the, like, frigid of Rachel. Like, she exists as a character primarily to make Batman and Harvey Dent feel sad. Um, and she's a good character up until that point, and then it's like, oh, she is a plot point for the men. Um, I just want to state, by the way, because I feel like we've been very critical of the film throughout. Like, the film's amazing. Brilliant. Absolutely, like, phenomenal. Well, since we're talking about it, it gets a little bit deeper in there. It's things full with it, but, like, yeah, the film's fucking amazing. So please, this is me behind. Smarter than Christopher Nolan. It's an incredible, incredible movie. But there are, you know... The, the criticisms we're finding are pretty minor, to be fair. <laughs> just weird. I just realized it was weird that we talk more about the criticisms than the praising thing. To be talking about it. Uh, but I just think the criticisms are more interesting than the praise on this one because the praise is kind of universal, actually, and, like, everybody knows what's good about it with the things that are maybe a bit go-and-notice and, and, like, are, are more of to pick apart is, like, where it, it, it doesn't work a little bit. Um, so yeah, the fridge in a virtual isn't great. I do understand Harvey as a symbol. Um, because the, like you say, the film is about symbols, so it's not necessarily about like, oh well we'll just prop up this woman and then she can be that role. It has to be, you know, the smiling blonde district attorney who, you know, has all these models, has all these slogans and has the people behind him because he has to represent that in much the same way as by the end of the film. Batman has to represent the the thing that you know killed him, so that he can be pure, and and, and, and like he represents the evil, and and, and the, it gives people things to root for. Um, the the problem I have with the film primarily is you are correct in stating it is a very very American film, um, and coming out from British perspective. Uh, that American feeling is kind of makes for some dodgy politics from my perspective. Um, so the the, the post nine eleven stuff is you know prominent throughout the whole film. Um, one of the biggest things for me is like the kind of like navigating the idea of a surveillance state. Uh, you know, uh, the way he catches the Joker is with the hacking into all of the citizens have gotten into private phones and making them this, like, sonar camera where you can basically see what everybody's doing at every point. And, you know, they do engage with the fact of, like, holy shit, this is very unethical. 
um, with Lucius Fox being like, I don't know about this one, Bruce. This is this is not something I want to be a part of. And he's like, it's the only way to catch the Joker. And what bothers me about that is, like, they pay the lift service of critiquing it as, yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this is problematic and this is a bad thing. But then, ultimately, that is what saves the day. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's a bit of a mixed signal. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like, you know, like when you watch, like, 24, and it's just, like, it feels like it's an engaging series, but it just feels like America really trying to justify, like, Guantanamo mm. Bay. Like, no, 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 we have to torture them. Like, the only way to save the world is to torture this guy. Like, it, it has to happen. Sorry. It, it's just because we want to save the world. And they kind of do that with the Dark Knight. And yes, he does destroy... The surveillance system afterwards, but that kind of that almost makes it worse. Oh, that's that way worse. Makes it a bit too peachy and a bit too tight in the bow and a bit too neat. Like, oh well, don't worry, guys. Like, if we create a surveillance state, we'll just use it to catch the bad guys, and then when we caught the bad guys, we'll we'll get rid of it. And obviously, it's you know, it doesn't apply to reality one to one because that's that's it's you know, with as far as I'm aware. We haven't hacked everybody's phones so we can detect them with this weird sonar vision. But the sentiment is that it was a necessary evil um, because it is the thing that saves the day. And and then Batman's just like, but I'm a good guy, so I'll just get rid of it. And it's just it's just a bit too clean cut for us. Like I don't mind it having politics I disagree with necessarily in the sense of like it can be the thing that saves the day. But at least keep that weird thing around to, you know, if you're going to engage with the discomfort of it existing, if you're going to show yes. Lee Fox's resistance to it, then make the audience sit with that discomfort. Yeah, of course, Joker, but now this horrible bit of tech that just, like, monitors your every fiber of your being just exists, and just one person who is very rich has all of that power to do what they want with it. And yeah, we... As an audience, we trust Bruce Wayne and Batman to do the right thing, but, like, what if, you know, an enemy gets a hold of it? What if somebody dangerous gets a hold of it? What if it's, like, what if Batman has a fucking bad day and he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to spy on these people and ruin their lives for some reason? Like, it's it's such a, like, weird thing to have temporarily. Like, it, it, it feels like... Like, I'm going to draw a weird parallel here, but you know how, like... AI is like a big thing now, like generative AI, and it's, it's causing loads of like misinformation on the internet because we know we didn't have enough of that. And um, we're, it's, it's like causing loads of problems with like fake, deep fake porn and like non consensual nudes and just, just, a, just a shitload of awful stuff. Just people using it for like, it's already a, like generative AI is, you know, even morally based on the fact like it's, it's stealing a lot of work from a database that wasn't used with this permission and. There's a whole, like, moral implication there. But, like, that exists in the world now. That is a real-world example of dangerous, problematic tech. That, in theory, could be used for good, but we are seeing that it is not being used for so much good all that often. That isn't something you can put back in the box. Now that it's out there, it's fucking out there. Like, it, once it exists, it exists. You, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And, like... The idea of Batman and Dark Knight engaging with this kind of post-9-11 surveillance state 
and sort of speaking to that metaphor through this advanced computer system that can see the whole of Gotham. And actually engaging with the idea of, like, this is questionable and should we be doing this? To then sort of neatly go, ah, it's alright, we just, we just smash it up at the end. It's like, that, that feels like you kind of took the coward's way out on your own teams there. Like, you wanted to talk about these people, but not, not too deep. Let's, let's not get too much into it. And, uh, yeah, that, that always just sat a bit weird with me. Especially for a film that's so keen to delve into, like, morally grey and complex issues. Like, it's a very, very bold ending for them to make Harvey Dent a villain who was going to murder a child and then decide, like, actually, we shouldn't tell people about that child-killing business, because then they might not like this guy. <laughs> and that, that's, like, that's like, for a blockbuster. I'm not even saying, like, that, you know, I think politically it's a, it's a good ending in that symbol should be upheld and it's a complex decision that should have been made that way and if it was real like that's how I wanted to go but like for a blockbuster that is oh that is genuinely great like it is generally speaking um blockbusters throughout western history um and I say western history because in Korea it's the fucking opposite they love a sad it's really wild it's I've got a super interesting anecdote about Korean cinema um there, but yeah, Western audiences love a happy ending. Like, doesn't matter how dark the film is, doesn't matter how grim it is. Like, it's, unless it's a horror, happy ending, happy ending all the way through. Like, it's got to be a happy ending. And then for like Dark Knight to be like, oh yeah, um, the hero's on the run, and uh, the other hero kind of got corrupted. We're gonna pretend he didn't corrupt, get corrupted, and sort of sit in this comfortable lie. That's wild. That's genuinely wild. And I think it's and, and, and for a film that's like willing to have that to just tie up the computer stuff is is, is kinda doesn't doesn't sit where where it is. Especially since it's genuinely like just not a thing in the dark. You know, they're just like, yeah, also, nope, we destroyed it. Plus it's important to note that the Patriot Act has kept Nobody's safe. Um, warrant and search and seizure has never really helped anyone. Um, so it's not even... It's not even like it's effective. Uh, it's just evil. Uh, but in this narrative, it's not the joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. In Batman, it's... It saved the fucking world, guys. So how about that? Get a taste of that. <laughs> Wanna move on to kind of just wrap up thoughts here, or does anyone have anything else to say? Trying to, I'm trying to beat my habits of cutting people off. Uh, I think, I think one of the things that I know, I, I, I don't like the bridging and treatment of like Rachel in this. But if there's one thing I do genuinely love, it's this, the scene for for when like. Harvey specifically realizes that, like, when Batman shows up to save him, that, like, the anguish in the idea of him, like, having, you know, I'm the one they saved and not the one, you know, that, he, that was such a good scene, at the very least, they, it was such a heartfelt, like, moment to see, and at the very least, I loved the portrayal, um, and just seeing the agony of it afterwards, I do like that, um, that is to say, not to it was still fridging, um, but like I do genuinely love 
I loved the reaction. I loved how it like turned out and how it's so. It's such a it's such a genuine like way of doing like the whole railroad situation of like which track do you choose kind of thing. Uh, and I, I really did like at least how they did it. Maybe not like the context of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I I know one of the other things that I I also didn't get to mention. I. I um, I kind of mentioned this the last time too, is that I'm not a big fan of Nolan as a director when it comes to certain things. Um, this is one of the few movies where I genuinely do love the way that he, he directs things. It wasn't until Interstellar that I was, or not Interstellar, this, um, Inception that I was kind of more uh, uh, towards the questionable feelings because of uh, his way of, in certain situations, lifting scenes from other things and saying that they're homages and like just the idea of sometimes where there's a difference between homage and where, where where's the line drawn between like something like the Lion King where they take scenes from other things and then draw over them to make a new scene or versus this where you're taking say um, I, I one of the more famous examples is like him taking from Satoshi Kon and using that from things with Paprika to make Inception uh, where you, you see a lot of those inspirations and it's, it's a, that inspiration versus um, genuine. Where where is where do you draw the line of inspiration and plagiarism? Uh, uh, to some idea, I, I do like to at least touch on that because I don't. This is this is one of the few things where like I do like Nolan as a director overall. Uh, this is one of the things where I genuinely enjoy his artistic style and like the way that he portrays a lot of the realism in this uh, film. I I just uh, this is before this. Um, or back when this came out, I, I was younger and didn't really have an idea when it came to creators, so it's, like, interesting to go back to this and to see, like, having now had more of a library to look at when it comes to Nolan, uh, when it comes to, like, you know, seeing Oppenheimer and things like Inception, and to, to go back to this and see, like, the idea, like, how the themes have changed over time, um, Especially with this, when you have like uh, when you have differences between like Oppenheimer and this, where you, you see um, things like you know them upholding the symbols and what they do with Harvey in this one versus like Oppenheimer, it's essentially like that it is in a way of like we let the cat out of the bag kind of situation. Like we can't come back from this, and then in this they don't really. It feels like Oppenheimer explores those feelings more. Um, I'm going on a ramble that makes no sense. Um, but uh, like it, it's it's interesting to go back through through Nolan's filmography and especially with this since we went through Batman Begins and then this to just see how things have evolved over time. I don't want to harp on the least favorites because we kind of kind of laughed about earlier. We spent a lot of time talking about the negatives of such a great movie. Um, like for me, just some of the metaphors with with Harvey and with the surveillance don't fall fully into place. But overall, I mean, it's it's a masterful movie. It is and something that feels like a wonderful follow-up to Batman Begins in that it, it, it yes, ends its own, its, its predecessor, and not every sequel does that, and it really shows how, how things have changed in Gotham since the introduction of Batman. All of the performances are wonderful. Ledger, Bale, Eckhart, Kane, everyone, Maggie Gyllenhaal, you're wonderful. And, but for me, like, the ultimate highlight is just the unpredictable nature of the movie, right from the jump, as we spent a lot of time talking about, not knowing what to expect out of the opening heist, 
all the way leading to the reveal of the Jokers with them with the heist. But throughout the whole movie, I've seen it multiple times at this point, and I watched it to like refresh my memory because it's been a while, you know, before this podcast, before recording, and I still found like Joker's whole plot well, is somehow both kind of nonsensical and that he's definitely, in my opinion, full of shit and the like, confliction between, um, like some men will watch the world burn, as Alfred says, and also it's about sending a message, like which one is it? Um, but I like that, and I think the unpredictable nature of it is like, as I was saying, I rewatched it, and I was still like forgetting steps of everything that happened, and everything that had to just go so right, but also not feeling in a ludicrous manner, because there's definitely some improv there, and it, it, it's just, it's it's the right amount of like unhinged for a character like the Joker, at that level of characterization. So just for me, the highlight is the fact that I've watched this movie I don't know how many times now, and I still find myself being like, oh, right, like, I totally forgot about that, and that's that's an element of it, and it maintains that unpredictable nature. And yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend it. I think you'd be probably hard-pressed to find anyone that doesn't recommend The Dark Knight. Um, I know my mom hates I was just about to say that. I was about to say our mom does not like... Our mom left the theater. Our mom hates it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's really fucking good, and I don't, it's good. Agreed. Uh, my, I don't even, it's hard to pick out, like, a least favorite thing, because it's, like we were saying, like, the criticisms we were pointing out aren't even, like, massive flaws to the film, uh, necessarily, but, um, I guess just overall, I think that uh, Rachel deserved a better conclusion to her character arc than she got, and that's a little bit frustrating. That's probably my the, my, the lowest point for me. And um, alternatively to what Jake was saying earlier, I actually thought Two-Face was the most uh, compelling part of the movie, and my favorite part. I thought uh, Aaron Eckhart, from the moment he came on screen, was very, very charismatic, which to me was important because that makes the transition into his madness all the more uh jarring and all the more uh impactful uh so i i thought he did a phenomenal job uh throughout the whole film playing harvey dent playing two-face because it's really two characters in some sense so and yeah obviously i would recommend this movie like jake said unsurprisingly i would recommend this movie as well this movie is very well shot, the effects are beautiful, the cinematography is beautiful, the battle choreography is beautiful. Honestly, there's very few flaws with this movie. I know we just spent like an hour and a half going over those flaws, so it doesn't really seem like we had that opinion. But I assure you, it is. It's just that, you know, talking about the positives is like, I don't know, it's like, he's like eating ramen noodles like the 150th time while you were in college. Like you're sick of it, right? You don't want to do it anymore. What's the new? So yeah, I recommend it for all the reasons I stated before. Um, the really only criticism I have is the color palette because I feel like, as we mentioned before, and as Dan brought it up and made a really good point about, is that this thing doesn't really fit these characters. These characters feel like they should be in a different place because these characters don't fit in a real world but other than that the movie's great i recommend it yep that's it uh 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I obviously recommend it too. I, I don't think we got to stand up positive, but again, like, what can you do? Um, I, I think, like, my least favorite part, and I know we didn't get into this as much, I, to me, if anything, it was the choreography when it came to fight scenes. Um, I don't know about it, anybody's opinions on that, but it was, it always has, it has always felt fairly dull to me. It, there's nothing, like, it's nothing too bad. It's nothing, like, it, again, it's, like, such a small gripe to me, in my opinion. Um, Nolan, Nolan doesn't don't have issues fight scenes. Uh, yeah. He, 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 he's the king in so many aspects Respect. of cinema, but he just, for some reason, he just doesn't know how to shoot fight scenes. Like, he, Batman begins the fight scenes in that, which is a tumble of it's a little bit better in Dark Knight, but he doesn't do fight scenes, he does, he, he does set pieces. He knows yeah. how to shoot the action of a set piece, like a big, you know, like, Dark Knight Rises, the opening plane sequence is like one of the best parts of that film. Um, and this Hunter Bank Heist is an incredible set piece, and there's so much scale and scope. But the second you break it down to like two characters punching each other, yeah, he just doesn't know what to do. <laughs> Uh, if anything, like, my favorite part is the hospital scene, which I know we didn't get to talk about much, uh, much on, but, like, honestly, I love that, especially the ending when, like, you have Heath Ledger coming out, and, like, it stops, the, the explosion stopped midway because the bombs wouldn't go off during the, uh, actual filming of the shoot, and then afterwards, it, it's just him improvisationally acting towards the, uh, the just, just seeing that scene knowing the context behind it just makes it feel so much better to me, in my opinion. It could be the dude that is the one who's like, actually, Santa Claus doesn't exist, but uh, that, that's... Was that, true. was that not true? That's not true. No. No, if, Wait, if it was... <laughs> if it was true, um, somebody on pyrotechnics would be very, very much in trouble. You, you, yeah, you don't want to do a film with pyrotechnics of that scale and not know when the explosions are going off and it yeah the the, the mistake would be too great he's because he, he's walking out the hospital time like that's it yeah um uh, i'm confident that that is not true um i think i've also read that it's not true uh maybe double check it maybe maybe i'm being a horrible jaded cynic and actually santa claus is out there but uh, yeah I, I don't i don't think the improv thing is true the clapping though the clapping when he claps in the prison that was it uh, great scene know. either way. Yeah. Great scene either way. I'm looking at it now and it's like, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, things about it being a myth, uh, that it was planned all along. I wonder how that started then. That's that's <laughs> older uh, information that somehow there's, got out. There's loads, there's loads and loads of film misinformation out there. You know the very, very famous one of like, oh, they didn't know what was going to happen when the chest burst, I came out alien and that's why this was fired. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's just not true. <laughs> There's also, I've heard, read a lot of things about things that were like improvised the first take and then they put it in. And so, like, people say that all their reactions are real, but it's like, no, their reactions are acting. It was real the first take. I don't know. That's something I've read about. That doesn't matter much. And cap, cap us off. Um, uh, again, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep mine sweet and brief and the most generic basic bitch answer you're gonna get least favorite part hong kong best part joker would i recommend 
Absolutely. On that note, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Please plug again, you know, where can everyone find you and where should they be looking for all the stuff you talked about earlier that's going to be coming in the future? This is the first time you're saying that and I'm responding to it in the very next Yeah! Uh, <laughs> not disorganized. Just, manner, like the because... just like the alien scene. Just yeah, like yeah, I'm responding to it super organically and my internet didn't hunk out there because I'm on a hotspot. Um, yeah, uh, Dan Drambles on all social media. You'll find us on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. Because it's not, it's Twitter. Uh, Dan, Dan Drambles on Instagram. I believe Dan underscore Drambles on Instagram. Or maybe the other way around. I'm not sure. But if you search Dan Drambles, you'll probably get find us. Uh, and more, most importantly, Dan Drambles on YouTube, which is where my stuff is. Twitter, I just tweet about games I'm excited about. It's it's not that engaging. But but YouTube, that's that's where the real gem is. And uh, yeah, and uh, please... Um, by look into terabytes uh, we have a trailer um, if you go to our website uh, creativevc.com lots of people don't get my accent on that one so I'm gonna spell it out c-r-e-e-t-o-r-v-e-c not b-c not g-c everybody misses this thick Geordie accent v-c like virtual chat creativevc.com and if you go down to projects uh, you can find terabytes there. You'll see the trailer. You'll see a synopsis. We also have a survey. Um, I would highly, highly, highly recommend everybody fill out that survey. I know it doesn't sound particularly exciting, but we do these documentaries on this huge, huge scope, and your answers to that survey, we genuinely read every single survey response, and your answers to that survey can genuinely shape the film. Like, I'm not just saying that this is kind of like our whole modus operandi we are community-powered entertainment. We have our own ideas of what we want to bring to the film, but we are just a small team exploring this big, huge part of culture. And, you know, our knowledge is going to be limited in some places. We're going to have some blind spots. We want to know what you want to say in it. We want to know what topics you want covered. We want to know who you want to be in it, who you want to hear from. And when we get those names and those suggestions, we look into all of them, and we get people in the film based on what people ask for. Um, Games, feed, games will feature based on your requests. Uh, people will feature based on your requests. We'll have our own sort of foundational structure that we'll build around. You know, we're, we're not just sort of winging in on everybody else's suggestions, but genuinely you can have a real, real impact on the series. And uh, it would help us out greatly because we want to hear from like as diverse and a wider range of an audience as possible. Uh, because this is a huge, huge, huge part of media history and we wouldn't want anything to sort of go missing um, and that doesn't mean to say that you have to enter some like obscure sound novel from Japan um, but if you just want to hear about Resident Evil let us know tell us that you want to hear about Resident Evil it gives us incentive like if that's such a huge demand we're like okay well we need to track down more Resident Evil guys to talk about their stuff um, yeah it's it's, uh, it's it's super helpful um, you'll also be able to keep be kept in the loop with uh, you know when we drop the new trailer we're dropping a new trailer pretty soon um, and when pre-sales go live and all of that jazz and it'll just uh, yeah it helps it helps it helps immensely and uh, you could genuinely shape a little bit of horror history because these 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 creative AC I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sort of new to them I was creative advisor on in search Darkness 90s and, and 
and you know I'm doing terabytes with them now. But uh, they are they they do some big big huge projects with some crazy important and talented people. And uh, I genuinely consider like before I was working with Creative EC, I was a huge fan, and I genuinely consider In Search of Darkness some of the coolest. Uh, the series because some of the coolest documentaries ever. Um, it is a thrill to be working on them. They're a huge, huge part of my fandom, and uh, they are genuinely like important tomes in archiving like art and culture. And uh, you can be a little bit of a part of that horror history. Awesome. Yes, please, please check that out. And also check out. Uh, thank you to our friend Alo. A-L-O-F-E-T-T for the podcast logo and art and design and all that. And thank you to our very own Jason, as they provide the uh, intro-outro music. Jason, I know you forget sometimes. I do provide the intro-outro music, and I make music. Uh, the un- the Upsides on SoundCloud, the underscore Upsides PA on Twitter, and the Upsides PA on Instagram. I'm making things that will be out uh at some point soon hopefully right and follow us uh culturally illiterate is the name of the podcast and spotify apple podcast youtube uh you can follow us at illiterate underscore pod for anywhere that we have a social you can reach us at culturally illiterate pod at gmail.com if you have any particular questions or comments that you don't want to leave on a social for some reason and lastly 2008 was very very busy and very very influential superhero movies but next episode we are going to be covering its last and most forgotten entry and testing the limits of our tolerance for camp in this genre with punisher Warzone. um and if jason can recall and if longtime listeners may recall um there is a major supporting character in that movie played by an actor that i guarantee you you will not guess in a million years so you know stay tuned if you want to see if jason gets lucky pause um <laughs> all right bye